Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad that you are here. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're actually continuing in our series on Luke, Luke chapter 4. Um, and in Luke chapter 4 today, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 4. Um, <clears throat> I was originally going to preach on the entire temptation, and then I decided that um, I want to hit each one of these temptations one by one because I think they're very applicable to our daily lives. So let me pl- pray before uh, we begin. Father in heaven, we do want you to be glorified. We do want your kingdom to come. We do want your name to be hallowed. We do want your will to be done. And we want to live off of you. And so we resonate with give us this day our daily bread. And so we ask that you would allow us to be fed by your word today. That we would see Jesus Christ clearly. That we would worship him. And that we would give praise to you, Father, Son, and Spirit through Jesus Christ. And so now would you please be with me, fill me with your spirit now, I pray, and allow every word I say to be true to your word, that you might receive all glory, honor, and power. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for you today, which is this, a few questions. What do you do when times are difficult? Do you trust God's provision for you or do you essentially short-circuit his plan and do what you want? I want to illustrate this to you in my own life, how I short-circuited, I think, um, God's plans. Now, of course, when I say this, I understand that God plans all things and orders all things. And so in my failures, God works them out. But... I do think that looking back at it, I think I short-circuited what he wanted. It was 2017, and 20, late 2017, early 2018, and I, uh, we had moved from uh, an pa- assistant pastorate I had in Morgantown, West Virginia, and moved back to Ohio to church plant in my hometown. And I was in the Presbyterian Church of America, the, the denomination we're a part of, and I uh, went to... Uh, to do church plant. I talked to a couple churches that were willing to sponsor uh, me in the church plant um, and um, kind of talked with some of them and figured out I was going to go with one uh, over the other. Um, that was all fine at, the, at that point in time. And then um, I went for my transfer exam. And during that transfer exam, there was a minor, a minor view. It had nothing to do with the, deep theology or doctrine. It was more practice. And they didn't like my answer, and so they asked me to go and sit down with a committee and talk about it. Well, I was not going to have any of that. And when I did that, I think I short-circuited God's plan. To me, it looked like a, 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 a rough spot, and a spot I didn't want to go down. I was already doing some ministry in the town. I was doing evangelism and, 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 and teaching and stuff like this, and I was like, I don't want to waste my time doing this. I think that God was putting me to the test, 
And instead of submitting, and instead of saying, okay, I'm going to you know, sit down with you guys and talk, I decided to hit the eject button. So I ended up planning a church through another denomination for, for that. It, wasn't, it was okay. I mean, God saved people, and it ultimately worked out. But why? Why this illustration? I mean, the reality is, is that in your lives, you and I, when times get rough, when we go through valleys and difficulties, what do we do? We want to, we, we're driving in that airplane, and we see a mountain in front of us, and we look down in the cockpit, and we see a red button, and it says eject. And we say, why should I slam headlong into this mountain and so we press the button and off we go float down in safety the reality is is that we are tempted in tough times when God gives us tests to in our own power do what we think is right in Luke 4 1 to 4 we're going to see that Jesus as the true Israel empowered by the Spirit, trusts in God's provision, and because we have His Spirit, we can do the same. And so the background for this is basically simple. Jesus the Christ was born, He grew up, and He, he was anointed by God at His baptism and declared to be the perfect Son of God. He can now, He's about to complete one final test before He begins His ministry, and this is where our text begins Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. I do want to... Jump down for a moment and read here in verse 14. And Jesus returned to in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. In today's and the next two weeks sermons, we're going to be talking and doing a deep dive into Jesus' temptation. And I would like us to see today this particular temptation, the first one, and answer three questions. One, how were we designed to do life? Number one. Number two, how should we make decisions and handle difficulties? And number three, how can we find direction? So I'm going to answer these questions um, um, right now, and then I'm going to, hopefully you see them from the scripture as I go on. So the first one, how were we designed to do life? The answer to that question is, we are to do life by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. That's number one. Number two, how should we make decisions and handle difficulties? And that is the answer. Basically, we make decisions based upon God's commands and his promises. And number three, how can we find direction? We ask God for power, for wisdom, and direction, trusting in him by the Spirit. So that's what we're going to see today. So I want to get to my first point in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. 
Do you see in verse 1 here, and then even at verse 14 that I read when it says he went in power back to Galilee? He was full of the Holy Spirit. That's the first part of the verse. The second part of the verse, it says, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, anybody want to go to the wilderness for 40 days without food? And at the end of that, be tempted by Satan himself. Anybody, would anybody choose that? Probably not, right? If you knew that was coming, if you were on day 39 and you had an eject button, would you press it? I think I would. So Jesus, though, it said he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Mark, it says that he was kind of compelled or driven by the Spirit to the wilderness. So this is God himself, the Holy Spirit, basically saying, you're going here. And Jesus, no argument, he goes, goes into a 40-day fast. Now, then at the end, he says he returned in the power of the Spirit. So what's the point here? This first point is that Jesus is the true Israel, is directed by the Spirit. You can see it in the text so clearly. Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. The application is this, that Jesus lives how we were designed to live. He is the true man, the second Adam, living the way that God expects you and I to live. And by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and his direction, you and I too can live in this way. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, pastor, that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. You are correct. You are not Jesus. I am not Jesus. No one in here is Jesus. But do you remember what it said in Luke chapter 3? John said, and someone will come who will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. Do you remember what John, what John says, quoting Jesus in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39? And it says that he spoke these things in, the, in, the way, in such a way that he was talking about the Spirit. He said, basically, I've got rivers of living water that will flow out of you. Right? Believe in me and you'll receive rivers of living water that will flow out of you. And then John gives a little parenthetical remark and says, oh, that he spoke of the Spirit. And then Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down in tongues of fire, inhabits them. But even before that, the disciples were in the upper room and Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just the disciples. And then, then as I was saying in Acts 2, the rest of the 500 received the Holy Spirit. So wait a minute now. Jesus received the Spirit, was filled with the Spirit. Jesus gives the Spirit. And so Jesus is telling us that we can live a life filled with the Spirit, directed by the Spirit. And so, anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, and when, I don't know if you know that, when, when someone confesses that Jesus is Lord, it doesn't mean that they say the words coming out of their lips, Jesus is Lord, as in like just anybody can say that, those words. When someone confesses that Jesus is Lord, it means that he is their Lord, that they are saying what is true to the core of their being. And so, Jesus is Lord, we receive the Spirit, and Paul, in Galatians 5, works this out, and he says four things. Be led by the Spirit. 
Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. Four times. What, what do you think, somebody says something four times in four different ways, what do you think they're trying to get to tell you? That this is unimportant or it's really important? No, they're trying to tell you that it's important. What Paul is saying is that the life of the Christian is a life that is led being controlled by the Spirit. Jesus, at the beginning here, right before his ministry, is showing that his life is so controlled by the Holy Spirit that what he's going to do is he is going to do whatever God wants him to do. And God is going to give him the power to do it. And so you might say to me, but how do I know? How do I know that I have the Spirit? How do I know that I can walk by the Spirit? How do I know that I can go and not have to hit the eject button? Basically, because you have faith or trust in the promises of God. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, after telling us that when, if you then, it's up there on the screen, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, right. how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In other words, you have the Holy Spirit, but we need more of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we need to be directed by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit, basically align our lives to what God is asking. If God is saying, I need you to take this path, right? I need you to walk down these steps. I need you to come over here. He's not telling me this right now, right? If he's telling me this path, I need to follow the path that he's giving. But unless I walk and am led by the Spirit and guided by the Spirit, I won't know where to go. Being controlled by the Spirit is not some mystical thing, right? And that's what we're going to get as we continue on into our next point. In our next point, number two, Jesus as the true Israel trusts in God's provision. Now, this is the overlapping, overarching point, and there's actually three things we see in here that I'm going to hammer out here. So in verses two to four, we're going to see that as the true Israel, Jesus trusts in God's provision by willingly accepting testing, by listening to God's voice, and by living off of God's word alone. Those are the three things. Now, remember we talked about that airplane. And we're flying at a mountain. And we got that eject button and we want to hit it. You see, Jesus as the true Israel trusts in God's provision by willingly accept this testing. Now, I've already talked about this a little bit so I'm not going to go dig deep into it. But the reality is, is who wants to take a 40-day fast? Who's going to do that? Nobody. Nobody. Jesus, though, and, and not only that, but a 40-day fast in the hot desert? Really? I mean, couldn't you pick a nice place? No, it was in the wilderness. And the reality is, is that Jesus didn't leave. Jesus, in a sense, was heading toward this mountain, the mountain of temptation, where Satan was going to hold out all these things before him, and he didn't hit that eject button. And so we... We often hit that, and Jesus, he doesn't complain, he doesn't try to escape, he as an obedient son, which remember Deuteronomy 8 that we read, as an obedient son, he accepts the discipline of the Lord, not for doing wrong, but for training purposes, so that he could understand you and me and what we struggle with. 
Now, this is an example of how we should live as children of our Father in His power and through the Spirit. We should willingly accept the testing that the Lord brings to us and patiently wait for His deliverance. Now, before we look at the, this, so we saw point 2A, I think it's on the, I think it's on the slide, should see it, we willingly accepting testing. Before I move to the next point, which is 2B, it's how Jesus listened to God's voice alone. I want us to pause and get the context so that we actually understand the state Satan's statements in Jesus' response. This passage is so rich. It's taken from the book of Deuteronomy. It's actually taken from Deuteronomy 6 to 8. And it's very clearly a direct connection between Israel in the wilderness falling and falling into sin. And so it's also tied to Exodus 16, 1 through 12. So basically like Israel being led by the Spirit out of Egypt, Jesus is led into the wilderness and he, like Israel, wandered for 40 days, not 40 years, but 40 days. It's a, very, it's a parallel, it's typological. And so like Israel being tested in three different ways, Jesus is tested in three different ways. Now you might say, well, how was Jesus tested in three different ways? Well, interestingly enough, in Psalm 106, 14 to 14 and on and on, what you end up seeing is that Jesus, these three things are brought out. These exact same three temptations are brought out for them. Now, this is, by the way, rooted in Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 3. And Israel is commanded to obey God's law, to prosper, to take possession of the land. And God's purpose for their wandering was, it says, to test them, to see what is in their hearts. So do you know why God brings trials into your life, brothers and sisters? Because he wants to see what's in your heart. He wants to see where you're at, whether you will obey him or not, or whether you'll hit the eject button. See, hunger and God's provision were, were given to the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness, to teach them how to depend upon God and not themselves. And when you and I receive trials, kids, you have trials. Now, adults sometimes minimize and say, well, you know, we all went through that. But you have a mind and a heart, and you have experiences, and you have hurts and pains, and you feel those, and they're very weighty. They're very difficult. And when you're going through those things, you're tempted in the same way that adults are tempted to basically say, I don't know, like, God doesn't care for me. And this is really what's going on in this passage. And so, essentially, we're tempted, just you are at your age, you're tempted to go after things that you want really bad. And this is what you see on the screen, Psalm 106, 14 to 15. They had a wanton craving. This means an excessive desire. It's like, kids, it's like ice cream. What's your favorite ice cream? Like it's there, and you've got to have it. It's like that video game. It's like whatever the case may be, and you've got to have it. It's a desire that's so big that when your parents say, clean your room first before you do it, you can't clean your room or you do a bad job cleaning your room because you're so focused on what you want because your desires are so deep. That's what this idea is. And so what was going on here is God is saying, is allowing them to be hungry so that they then would see whether or not they're going to obey God and follow God or whether they're going to go after whatever they wanted to do and depend on themselves and not on God. And this same thing is happening to Jesus here. 
Will he continue to be an obedient and faithful son, the true Israel, or will he go after wanton desire, excessive craving? Will God's people, right, trust him even when it is easy or difficult? Adam, no, it was easy. He didn't trust. He had everything, just not that tree, and he went after that. Israel, was it difficult? Yes. Did they trust? No. They had manna. They had food from heaven. It wasn't good enough. Jesus, does he trust? Oh, yes. Yes, he does. What's the bottom line here? Will Jesus do what the Father wants? Will he do the Father's will, even when it's hard, even when he has his own cravings? Food. Very, very hungry, I'm sure, after 40 days. Will he go after his own cravings? Or will he see where he's at and follow God? Okay, so this is where Satan's tempting is. Wanton craving or exceeding desire. Here's what the application, though, at this point is. What will we do when testing comes? Will we continue in God's power? Or will we do it on our own and do whatever it takes to get out of what? The pain. Or to have get what we want. So the second point, right up there on your screen, verse 3. Jesus is the true Israel. Trust in God's provision by willingly listening to God's voice alone. So Satan here is pretty crafty. He seeks to push Jesus to doubt God's provision, to doubt God's goodness, and to prove that he's powerful and that he's God's son by turning stone into bread, right? So he wants Jesus to ask this, will God provide for me? This is what he wants, this is what, he, what Satan wants Jesus to think about. Will God provide for me? And then conclude, no, I must take matters into my own hands. If you're the son of God, take this stone, turn it into bread. Yeah, God, your father, he doesn't care about you. Yeah, he's let you go hungry for 40 days. You are the king of the universe. You can do whatever you want. Satan is not questioning Jesus as to be supposedly he's a son of God or not. He knows who he is. And he's like, why don't you take matters into your own hands? Because your father, he doesn't care about you. That's what Satan was wanting. Will Jesus feed himself instead of relying on God's provision? Will he follow God the Father in obedience? Or will he have the wanton craving, the exceeding desire of Psalm 106, 14 to 16. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had all the food they wanted, but they wantonly craved being a god and determining for themselves what was good and evil. In Exodus 16, 4 and Deuteronomy 8, 3, a month and a half after being delivered, like a month and a half. This is not a long period of time, okay? Six weeks. You, you have just seen... Egypt ravaged, destroyed, all their riches go to you, and their army lies dead in the bottom of the Red Sea. And six weeks later, you're like, well, I don't really, I'm hungry, and I don't think God can do this. I don't think he's going to provide for us. Either it was they didn't have enough food or they didn't have the type of food they wanted. Either way, it doesn't make any difference. God gives them manna then, which is bread from heaven, like, they didn't even know what it was. They actually named it, what is it? Manna means, what is it? We don't know what it is. Well, we don't know what it is. It's bread from heaven. 
And God provided this, and he was seeing if they would trust him alone, and they didn't. Would they live by bread alone, or would they live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? They tried to live on their own power and not God's. In Deuteronomy 8, 5 to 6, they were tested so that they would learn to keep God's commandments by walking in his ways and fearing him. So Satan tries to get Jesus to do what Israel did. In Exodus 16, 1 to 12, he wants Jesus to crave food so he won't live off God's provision, trusting in God's voice alone, but use his power as the son of God to make bread for himself. So what does Satan want Jesus to do? Live by sight, not by faith. He wants Jesus to live by sight and not by faith. And so Jesus, the bread of life, you ever think about that? In this particular first temptation, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, was being tempted to use his power to give life to himself instead of doing what he came to do, which was to give life to you and to me. And so Jesus is the bread of life is being tempted not to have his life bent around giving life to us, but bent around giving life to himself, to be just like you and I are, self-centered and desirous of what we want. And so Jesus, as the true wilderness, as a true Israel, was sent into the wilderness because that's what God wanted, and he said, God will provide at the right time, in the right way, with the right stuff. And I don't need to do what I think is right. Jesus must depend on God and listen to his voice alone. If he would set himself free of God's will, he would have despaired of God and walked in rebellion. But instead of that, Jesus trusts in God's will and depends on God and his promises alone. You see, the kingdom of God is about being obedient and submissive to the will of God. It's about living off of God's words. It's about listening to God's voice. Jesus proves this in the first temptation. He declares in this temptation, not my will, but yours be done by not allowing himself to wantonly crave the things that even were needed. So when Jesus prays to his disciples, not, and it tells his disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus had already proved that in his life by saying, it's your will, Father, for me to be in the wilderness and to be tempted by Satan. It's your will for me to be hungry and I will submit to you and I will not hit the eject button. I will go through this test. So here's the application for this point. You, in the power of the Spirit, can listen to God's voice alone. Now you might be thinking this, Pastor, that's Jesus. I can't do this. I've tried. I want to, you to think for a moment, though, what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Two things. First, your will be done. Second, give us this day our daily bread. Does this sound familiar to what's going on in this passage? See, praying that what God wants should be done on this earth means our lives. And second, to give us this day our daily bread means that essentially we are praying that God will give us what we need when we need it. Not give me this day my bread for the next 10 years. But give me today, some say tomorrow's bread, perhaps, but give me the, my daily bread. 
Give me the, the bread I need. This is actually what happens if we pray this according to God's will in faith. God will do this. He will empower you through his spirit to be able to trust him. Listen, this is where the rubber meets the road, brothers and sisters. It might look like things that you are experiencing right now should be dealt with in your own power, that you should get out of it, that you should eject. But we are to live our lives empowered by the Spirit, just like Jesus. Because you have the Spirit. The Spirit lives in you. It's not a joke. It's not something. If you're saved, the Spirit lives in you. If you're not saved, okay, well, I, you need to get saved. You need to fall, fall on your face and trust in Jesus. But if you trust in Jesus, you have the Spirit of God Himself living in you. And so... You can pray this and you can ask your loving father to bring about his desires in your life and my life and in the world and give you what you need when you need it. And so we should use this prayer to ask the Lord to allow us, like Jesus, to listen to his voice alone and act according to it. And the reality is that we won't be able to do this unless we pray to him daily and spend time in his word. If you are not spending time in his word, you are not hearing his voice, and you will never know what you're being directed to. The reality is, is, is that when you read the scripture, you're infusing into your soul the truth of God, who God is, what he likes, what he doesn't like. When you pray to the spirit then, there's stuff that can be worked on in you. <laughs> If you've got an empty hole and no word in you, and kids, this goes for you as well. If you're not filling yourself with the word of God, how are you going to know what he wants you to do? You can pray for the spirit and say, give me guidance, but you're going to have nothing. It's like, you know, you basically have a car and you have no gas in the tank. And you're like, all right, let's go. And you hit the gas pedal and you're like, but I prayed to you, God. It's like, well, did you fill the tank up by being filled with my word? Notice that all Jesus' temptations, he responds with the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Satan responds with scripture. And Jesus is like, yeah, we'll get to that uh, in a few weeks. But basically, Jesus is like, yeah, no, that's not the way that says. I've read the Bible enough. That's not what it means. There's a way to read your Bible where you have superficial knowledge that you can pray to the Spirit and then be tempted to understand something in a way that's not aligned with the whole Scripture. So if you're not reading the whole Scripture, you're not understanding the whole of God's will and His purposes, so you don't know what's happening. And God of the Old Testament is this God of the New Testament. He hasn't changed. It's the same revelation of who He is. And so you've got to read it all. Like we said last week, even the genealogies. It matters. So... Our last point, it's the one short, and then we'll conclude. Jesus, as the true Israel, trusts in God's provisions by living off of God's words alone. This is verse 4. Jesus is citing a portion of Deuteronomy 8.3, and I want, I want us to, um, if you, I think the next slide has it. If, is eight, Deuteronomy 8.3 next? Yes, let me read it. And he humbled you and let, your, let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, and he, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That is what Jesus responded with. Man does not live, live by bread alone. 
See, Jesus speaks of being completely reliant upon God and his promises. He will live on God's terms, not his. Jesus said, I didn't do anything unless I see my father do it. I don't say anything unless I get it from my father. Jesus' entire life was being lived in the will of God. He will live on God's terms. He will live off of God's words alone, not Satan, and in a sense, not even his own. Jesus quotes Jesus' quote rests on the assured conviction of the sufficiency of God and his word no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in in our life. Notice he says, it is written. He says this with such finality. It is written. I mean, it's like, mic drop. Right? It's written. This is what it said. This is what it is. You can't argue with me, Satan. This is reality because this is God's word and this is true and this is what I'm living off of. Your, God's voice alone. God's word alone. And so Jesus absolutely submits to the Father's will for him and so absolutely trusts him, loving him with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength and instead of the wanton cravings, the exceeding desires of his own heart. You see, Jesus understood that he was put in the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested. To him, the point of life was not to do what he wanted, but what God wanted. See that you see where the application is coming for us? What does God want for you? Is it suffering? Is it abundance? Is it homework? Lots of it. Is that your test, kids? that you take and do the homework that you've been given without complaining and murmuring like the Israelites did in the wilderness? Adults, is it your job that God has given you graciously, the power to get wealth that we read, and that you are going to do that and not come and complain about all the abundant provision that God is? What's the test? The tests are many in our lives. Jesus had a mission from God to seek and save the lost. He knew that he was not to decide for himself like Adam and Eve what was good and evil. Instead, he was to listen to God's word alone and live out the reality that life is about God's kingdom and not his own as a human. He knew that he was not to crave food like Israel, but was to crave God and his word. Life was not for him. Life was not for Jesus. Jesus was for you and for me. And he suffered in his temptation, in his entire life because his life was given as a ransom for you and for me. His life was for God and God's plans and God's plans for him were to save us. What is God's plan for you? Now, what's the conclusion to all this? Jesus is God's greater son and Israel's representative who is empowered by the Spirit. He rests upon God alone by willingly accepting the testing, by submitting to the Father's discipline. He listens to God's voice alone by going back to God's will for him in, in this wilderness and not trying to short-circuit things. And he lives off of God's words alone by thinking through this whole situation and deciding to wait upon God and God's provision for himself instead of doing what he wanted to do. So what is the application for us? We, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, are to submit to our Father's testing and discipline. We are to live off of His words, and we are to obey all His commands.
The applications are crazy rich here. We don't get to demand how we're rescued. You know that? When you're in a trial testing, you don't get to say, this is the way that I'm going to be rescued, God. God will rescue the way he wants in his time. We are not God. And so God will choose to rescue us how he wants. Now, I've heard many people say in their lives that they could never worship a God that does, that does or allows X. For instance, bossy parents' kids, or a dead-end marriage, or the loss of a family member, or et cetera, et cetera. Think of it. You name it. I can't worship a God like that who would let me experience those things. Or I don't believe in a God who would let this happen to me, illness, the loss of a job, whatever the case may be, the loss of a mother or father or early. Or I know that God would never want me to experience this. All of these thoughts, all of these ideas are tied to something very, very sinister. Reversing the role of man and God. Blips it. I won't serve you unless. Unless I know. Unless I experience. Unless I feel. Unless, unless, unless. And so it is the idea that I should be able to do or experience whatever I want. And oftentimes... That when people do this, you know what they say? They say, I will do what I think my God wants me to do and what he wants me to experience. And those things often are just breaking God's law. Like leaving a spouse or something like that, right? So these type of things, Jesus Christ lived and he died. He rose again. He received the Holy Spirit so that he could give us the Spirit. That's why he lived and died, brothers and sisters, so that you would have the spirit and could live like this. When he redeems us, he gives us with his spirit, the same spirit that he received, and he enables us to not live by bread alone, what we want, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. By and in the spirit, we can trust in God's provision for us by accepting testing, listening to God's voice alone, and living off of God's words alone. Do you remember that passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against the elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That does not sound fun. But... Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we do with all this? Jesus in this passage understands that we are God's children. He is, was God's child as the second Adam. God allows things to happen to us, to discipline us, and to test us to see what is in your hearts. Brothers and sisters, what is in 
your heart. You will find out when the fires come. Is what's in your heart testing or love and obedience to God, following Him and listening to His word? What's in Jesus' heart? He trusts in God in all things, does what the Father wants, the Father's will, even when it's hard. He will obey God in all things. He's a second Adam, the true Israel, who fulfills all that God requires in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you too, because of Christ's work upon the cross and his resurrection, have the Holy Spirit in you. You can rely on God's provision and follow him in obedience even when things are difficult. You know what? You don't have to use your power. I don't have to use my power to get out of the situation. We can trust in God and wait for him to give us what we need in order for us to be able to grow as children under him, loving him and serving him. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. Lord, it is a big task, but we have a big God who lives in us, the Holy Spirit, and we ask, Spirit of Christ, that you would make Christ present to us. Help us to know his power, the power of his resurrection, so that we might be able to listen to his voice, obey his commands, follow him, no matter what happens in our lives. We do ask that you would help us to walk in this, in this power that comes from you. We bless you, we praise you, and ask for your filling, the filling of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The reality...